0: Well, as I said, it's always encouraging to hear how God is working in the world through His Word, and it's fitting that alongside of hearing from the Gideons this morning, uh, we just so happen to be in a place in our study of the book of Acts today that highlights the mission that God has given His people in the world. Uh, It starts... This passage does with an unanswered question from the disciples. We're going to be looking at uh, the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 this morning. And we know what's what's going on here is that Jesus has already uh, died on the cross. He's risen from the dead and he is about to, to ascend into heaven. But in between his resurrection and his ascension... Uh, he spends 40 days with his disciples. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's revealing himself to them, showing them that he is truly alive, risen from the dead. And he tells them that soon they are going to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise uh, that God had made back in the Old Testament, the promise that they had heard from John the Baptist. And John had said, look, I'm just baptizing you with water but there's somebody coming after me who's greater than me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told them, you need to stay in Jerusalem until you receive that promise. That promise is coming very soon. And when they hear that, it apparently raises a question in their minds that they ask Jesus. Let me read for us verses 6 through 8. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, On the one hand, it's not terribly surprising that the disciples ask this question. Um, If you read uh, Bible scholars and teachers who know the Old Testament promises and prophecies better than most of us do, you'll see that they say, the disciples, when they hear about this promise of the Holy Spirit, in their mind, that's connected to promises about the nation of Israel and the promised land and, and things like that. and so when Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is about to be poured out very soon, then their next question is, okay, is now the time then when you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now it seems right that this is what they had been looking for and hoping for all along, right You see this in the disciples in the book of Acts, I mean, in the, in the Gospels, right? that they have an idea of Jesus as the Messiah that is different from what Jesus actually came to do. They're thinking Jesus is here to kick out the Romans and to restore Israel to prominence and to set everything right for the nation in the promised land. But Jesus tells them, that's not the kind of Messiah I am. That's not why I came right now. now. Some of those things might happen later, but what I've come for now, he tells them, is I've come to lay down my life as a ransom for many. When Peter tries to fight with a sword, Jesus says, put that away. That's not what we're doing. I came to lay down my life, not, not to fight against my enemies, but to die for my enemies and make them friends. But even now, after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, after he spends 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God, they still seem to be looking for some kind of earthly political kingdom, some kind of earthly political restoration when they say, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's interesting the way that Jesus answers. It sort of leaves that question open. Is that something Jesus is going to do later or not? He doesn't really say. It it perhaps implies that that will happen at some point, but here's how he answers the question. He says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, you don't get to know the answer to that question. You don't get to know when God is going to do some of the things that he's going to do. As near as the disciples were to Jesus, as much as Jesus invited them to um, ask for anything in his name, he still reserves the right to say sometimes, I'm not going to answer that. At least not in the way you want me to. And that's true for us as well. Sometimes it's, it frustrates us, sometimes it's difficult, but we need to be okay with the fact that God does not have to answer all of our questions. He hears all of our prayers. He loves us. He knows our burdens. He knows our longings. He, he calls us His children. But at the same time, He is not beholden to us. He does not owe us the answer to any question we might choose to ask. Some things he just does not tell us. Sometimes we ask, why? Why this? Why now? Why us? Why this person? And we don't get an answer. We don't know. Sometimes we ask, when? God, when are you finally going to do this? When are you going to finally set this right? When are you finally going to... Have your kingdom come in all of its fullness and, and set this world right and make all things new. We don't know. We don't know when that's going to be. But when God doesn't give us the answer we want, that doesn't mean he's not listening. listening it doesn't mean he doesn't care. If Jesus, in this moment, when he answered this way, right? If he, when he said, essentially, you don't get to know the answer to that question, If the disciples had said, why won't you tell us, I thought you cared about us, how absurd would that be? Were you not paying attention 40 days ago when I laid down my life for you? Yes, I care for you. Yes, I love you. And I will give you everything you need and I will tell you everything you need to know. But not everything you want to know do you need to know. So sometimes the answer is no. We are creatures. We don't get to know everything that God knows. And that's okay. So Jesus says it's not for you to know the time when God's plan is going to unfold. But here's what you do get to know. And what you do get to do. In verse 8. But you will. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So it's significant here that Jesus redirects their attention from a question about Israel and the kingdom that they don't need to know the answer to, and instead puts their focus on the mission that he is leaving them to bear witness not only to Israel, but to the world. See, sometimes God's answer to your question is a reminder of what your mission is, what your purpose is, why he has put you here, or it's a reminder of where your focus should be. Sometimes we we put our focus on Peripheral things that are not terribly important, and we forget the central and essential things. And so sometimes when God doesn't answer our question, it's because we're, we're worried about stuff out here. And God's saying, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to know about that. What you need to know and what you need to focus on is right here. That's what he's doing with his disciples Here's what you need to be aware of. Here's what you need to focus on. Here's what is about to happen. You are about to receive the Holy Spirit. You are about to have the Spirit of God poured out upon you. And when you do, when you receive the Spirit, you are going to be empowered. You are going to receive power to bear witness about Jesus. And this is something Jesus himself knows about firsthand. Luke tells us back in Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, remember what happened? The Father spoke from heaven, said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, right, in the form of a dove. He went out into the wilderness. He was tempted and tested The Spirit came upon Jesus to empower Him, to anoint Him for the preaching of the gospel to the people, to the poor, to the needy. And Jesus is telling His disciples, what happened to me is about to happen to you. The Spirit of God is about to be poured out on you like He came upon me. And when He comes upon you, He's going to empower you too. To go into the world and to preach the gospel just as I have been doing. Remember, Luke hints to us in the beginning of the book of Acts that what is about to happen in the rest of this book is that Jesus is going to continue his work through his disciples. He's leaving, but his work is not done. He has chosen his disciples, the apostles, to be his witnesses, to be his representatives, to be his authorized spokesman, And he is going to pour out the Spirit of God upon them to empower them to go into the world and bear witness to Jesus. Now, because the Holy Spirit is often connected in the Bible with power, with giving people power, sometimes we think about the Spirit as a power rather than a person. But The Holy Spirit is not like electricity you get zapped with or something. He's not a power. He's a person. Just like God the Father is a person. He's not a human person, right? but he's a divine person. He is just as much a person as the Son, just as much a person as the Father, and God has sent him to dwell inside of each one of us. The Bible is really clear. If you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That was new for the apostles starting at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, but now it's true for everybody who belongs to Jesus. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Now, what did the Spirit of God come to enable the disciples to do? Well, He says that the word he uses there in verse 8 is witnesses, to be my witnesses. Now, That's a word we're pretty familiar with, but we might not be as familiar with the way it's being used here, because we often use the word witness in the church to talk about us telling other people the gospel. We're witnessing to people, and that, no doubt, comes from passages like this one. And that's a fair and good use of the word, but it's different from what it means here, because... When you and I tell people about Jesus, as we should, right? And that's good and important. When we do it, there's something a little bit different about the way we do it than the way that the apostles did it. Because the apostles were not just telling them about the Jesus that they heard through the scriptures that they worship in the church. They're telling people about the Jesus that they saw with their own eyes. Who they touched after his resurrection. They are Eyewitnesses giving first-hand accounts of what they saw. This is what sets the apostles apart from the rest of the church, even in the early days of the church. Not everyone who worshipped Jesus in the early days of the church got to see Jesus for themselves. But the apostles did. And so when they go out into the world, they're not going out as gurus telling people, here's what we think is the best way to live. They're going out as witnesses saying, let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you who I walked with. Let me tell you what he did and what he suffered and how God raised him from the dead. Let me tell you how I know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior promised in the Old Testament Scriptures. I know because I walked with him, I talked with him, I saw him, I touched him, I saw Him die. I saw Him alive. I saw the empty tomb. Well, I know what I'm talking about. right? I, 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 I'm not some second or third or fourth hand storyteller. I'm telling you what I saw for myself. That's what Jesus is sending the disciples uh, to do. To be His Witnesses, And he tells them where they're going to be his witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This lays out what the rest of the book of Acts is going to be about. They're going to bear witness about Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea. And then in Acts chapter 8, they're going to be bearing witness in Samaria. And then with um, Paul's conversion, right? Where does God send Paul? All over the Roman Empire to the Gentiles. He ends up in Rome by the end of the book, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But when we think about what Jesus is telling them that they're going to do here, when he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, we might think, okay, well, that sounds like the easy part, being a bearing witness in Jerusalem. Like, that's, that's their people. That's kind of, they're already there. Like, it's, you know, ends of the earth, that sounds tough. Jerusalem, that doesn't sound so bad. Until you start to think about what we know about Jerusalem. And what's been going on in Jerusalem. It's not been two months since in Jerusalem, Jesus himself was put to death. As Jesus was approaching Jerusalem in Luke 13, he says, he says, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Jerusalem had a habit of killing people who told them the truth from God. That's what a prophet is, right? And ultimately, right, they killed Jesus, who is a prophet, but more than a prophet, the Son of God himself. And so when the apostles are told, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, they know what that means. This is probably not going to go well for us here. And it doesn't. They end up in jail. They end up being beaten. James ends up being killed. Bearing Jerusalem about Jesus in Jerusalem is no joke. That's no simple task. But that's what they're called to do. Not only Jerusalem, but all Judea. That's just the, the region around Jerusalem. It's like a county or a small state. And then Samaria. That's where things really start to change, right? Because the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along, didn't like each other, didn't like to intermingle. But what had Jesus showed His disciples in His own ministry? He went to Samaria on purpose. He met a woman at a well and offered her living water, offered her eternal life, told her He was the Messiah. She believed and brought other people to Jesus who heard Him for themselves, other Samaritans, and what did they say? They said, we now recognize that this man, Jesus, they called Him, He's the Savior of the world. Not just the Savior of the Jews, He's the Savior of the world. He's come for us too. And so just as Jesus was willing to go among the Samaritans that most of his own people despised and looked down upon, so also he sends his disciples, he sends his church into Samaria to bear witness about him. And then beyond Samaria, he says, to the ends of the earth, meaning there was no Boundary, no line, no place where they could stop and say, we're not going to tell them about Jesus. They're too far away, they're too different, too whatever. We're not going over there to tell people about Jesus. There is no point at which they could say, or we could say, we're all done. We did it. We told all the people we we're responsible for. No, there's no end. We can't quit. We won't be finished. Until Jesus returns. The positive side of that is that means Jesus was very clear from the beginning that the good news of his death and resurrection and salvation for anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him, that good news is for everyone. It is for all the world to hear. So just like the disciples can't draw a line and say, we're not going there, we're not telling them. So also you can't draw a line and say, well, that's not for me. He wasn't talking about me. He didn't mean that for me. I'm, I'm too bad, I'm too this, I'm too whatever. No. It's for the ends of the earth to hear. It's for all people to hear. Everyone is invited to turn and trust in Jesus. Reaching the ends of the earth, that's a big task. The apostles themselves didn't finish it. Right? I mean, Paul got pretty far. We know he got to Rome, and he told, he told the church in Rome he really wanted to go to Spain. And whether or not he made it there is an open question. But that, he wanted that. and if you think about Spain from Jerusalem, that's as far west as you could go. But there was still more work to do even after that. Still more people. There are more people in the world today than there have ever been. More people who need to hear about Jesus now than there ever have been. Which is why we need to send and support and pray for missionary why, missionaries. Why the Gideons place Bibles all over the world? And I mean, how encouraging is that to hear that they have Gideons in two hundred countries? I'm just like you. I, if somebody had asked me how many countries in the world are there, pretty sure my guess would have been under two hundred. Guess I would have been wrong, right? That's an incredible work, right? And we have missionaries, Gideons. I mean, people all over the world who are working hard to tell more people about Jesus. Because the job's not done. And we're not eyewitnesses like the apostles, but we are still engaged in telling the world the good news about Jesus. That's our mission, that's our job, until He returns. May He help us to be faithful.